0: All right, so we're getting uh, back to 1 Kings chapter 18, and, and as you're turning there to 1 Kings 18, we are looking at the life of Elijah in 1 Kings, and this is the time, as you're turning to 1 Kings 18, where Israel's divided. And this is after King David had been on the scene and, and Israel was all one happy family. And now you've got the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms and, and they're having a, a civil war basically. And in the north you've got King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel uh, ruling the people of God in a wicked way. And Elijah is this prophet of God that comes on the scene almost out of nowhere. And he just shows up as if to say, God is not good with what's going on with you, Ahab. I mean, big picture, what what is really happening is the prophet Elijah is raised up to say in so many words, people of God, come back. I mean, that's really what the, the heart of this prophet is, is to call God's people back to himself because God's people have a way of drifting away from walking closely in the love and covenant of God. And it's not just those people back then, is it? It can happen to the best of us. And so God's prophet, Elijah, rises up to invite God's people to come back to him. And uh, in this moment, Elijah has been uh, out, uh, out of the picture for about three years in terms of his public appearance. He had shown up to King Ahab and said, there won't be any rain for three years till I say so. And then boom, he's, he's gone from the public scene. But then in First uh, Kings 18, he comes back. In verse 18, verse 1, it says, after a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. All right, so this this moment of scripture uh, is Elijah coming back on the scene. But what, what I'm paying attention to is this pattern that we've had with Elijah, which is This phrase, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Say it with me. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Say it one more time. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And big picture, we're taking life lessons from Elijah, and this is one of them to learn how to be the kind of people who have a relationship with our God where we don't just drop off our laundry list of, here's all the stuff I hope you do for me, God. But instead, we also lean in to say, and I want to know what you have for me, Lord. Speak to me. Your servant is listening. And the word of the Lord can come to you. And the word of the Lord can come to you. You can get that prompting from the Holy Spirit about what direction to move in. You can get that nudge from God about how to move forward through what you've got to move through. And this is part of what we see in Elijah is just being people who experience the word of the Lord coming to us. And it's a mystery. I don't want to give you a formula for how that happens. But as you start beginning to, to lean into the presence of God and not just trying to check religious boxes, but, but walking in a relationship with God, he draws near to you. The scriptures assure us of this, that as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And Elijah, man, he lives it. And he gets this word of the Lord. And God says to him, go present yourself to King Ahab. It doesn't seem like that big a deal, huh? Go present yourself to King Ahab. But Ahab, for three years, has been hunting Elijah down to kill him. And so when God says to him, go present yourself to Ahab, it's a tall order. If I'm Elijah, this is my moment where I go, hey, hold up. Did you not know that he was trying to kill me right now? God. But Elijah, Elijah is a picture for us of what it means to have a relationship with God where we hear what he's saying and we walk in obedience, trusting him to come through. And, and the word of the Lord came to him, go present yourself to King Ahab. And I think in a sense, what God is saying is, Elijah, it's time for you to show up. It's time for you to show up. You showed up When you went to King Ahab three years ago and said, no rain for three years till I say so. Good. That was in the past. You showed up when you uh, went to the Kareth ravine and you showed up with faith, believing that I'd provide for you miraculously. Good. That was in the past. You showed up when you went to Zarephath and, and you trusted me to provide for you miraculously through this widow of all things. That was good, but that was in the past. You showed up with faith when when the widow's son died and you prayed for him to be healed. You showed up with faith. Good, but that was in the past. It's time to show up with faith in the present, just like you did in the past, Elijah. It's time to show up. Somebody say, it's time to show up. It's time to show up. It's time to show up. That's the title of my message. And I believe that God is beckoning and calling for somebody today. To show up they put my main idea up real early so we'll just go ahead and go with it right now and say it with me right now go I show up with faith in the present just like I have in the past I think they're like hey we got tamales and hot cocoa to get to move it along preacher <laughs> but we want we want to take our life lesson from Elijah and it looks like this I show up with faith in the present just like I have in the past and th- this is what we see in Elijah he did show up with faith in the past. And he has a moment right now to show up with faith in the present. To show up with faith in the present requires that I activate current confidence in God. And, and I believe him for breakthrough in the present. Because I know what it's like to have experienced him moving in my life, and he's done it in times gone by. If any of you have a story where there was a time in days gone by where God came through for you, where you got a sense of God speaking to you, and you took a little bit of a step of faith, and then God came through, would you just raise your hand or shout amen like a bunch of us, right? Okay. I'm glad that you have that historical experience in your past. But it's time to move and show up with faith in your present just like you have in the past. To keep believing God. don't, Don't give up. Regarding this current moment, the challenges you may face may be harder than ever. The difficulty might be as severe as it's ever been. And now it's time, maybe like never before, to show up with faith in the present just like you have in the past. This is what Elijah does, and this is part of what I want to emulate in in this prophet. Let me keep reading. Verse 2, it said, so Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. And while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each. And had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. And maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive. So we won't have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land. They were to cover and Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. In, In a sense, what you're seeing here is that the prophetic word that Elijah had spoken, that there would be no rain for three years until I say so, actually came to pass. And it was so bad that King Ahab and his chief of staff, Obadiah, are looking for the last shred of grass in some ravine just to keep the last horses alive. It was bad. But I want us to to pay attention to this person we just met in verse 3 and get to know him a little bit. Obadiah. Everyone say his name. Obadiah. It says, Ahab summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. I want you to just read that last statement, the one that starts with the parentheses. Say it out loud. Go. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear this expression that there's this person who's described as a devout believer in the Lord. Like, What comes to your mind? I mean, I'm imagining Obadiah described as... A devout believer in the Lord, and, and I'm guessing some things about him. I'm, I'm reading into the text a little bit, but with historical context, I mean, he's probably the kind of guy who's, who's reading the Torah every chance he can get. The first five books of the Bible was all he had at the time, but when he found an opportunity to see one of the scrolls and, and, and hear it and read it, probably was reading God's Word, and, and he's probably somebody who's who's praying, and, and according to the Psalms, that would have framed his experience of his faith at that time, maybe three times a day, just praying, seeking God. I, I wonder if maybe he's a, a kind of guy who would make that trek down to Jerusalem, to the temple, to bring an offering into the courts of the Lord. I wonder if maybe because he was alive just after the time of David, if maybe some of those songs of David might been on his mind, and maybe he would be the kind of guy singing the, the songs right directly to God, because that was the heart of Davidic worship, but I, 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 I love it. I love that he's described as a man who, who was a devout believer in the Lord, and I would hope that one day it would be said about you the same thing, that you were a devout believer in the Lord, somebody, as the King James translates it a little differently, a, a a a person who feared the Lord greatly. That is somebody who recognizes there's nothing better than to put God absolutely first in my life. And what that led to was a willingness to even put his life on the line for the sake of God and God's people. And sometimes maybe that's what it looks like to be a devout believer in the Lord. I mean, that's what I see. Actually, it it jumps out right in this parentheses in verse 3 Again, it said Obadiah in verse 3 and 4 Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water. Go, Obadiah! Right? Aren't you glad there are people like Obadiah out there across history, just recognizing that God is worth me putting my life on the line to help his people, right? And that's what Obadiah was about. At least that's what Obadiah was about in the parentheses. And I do want you to recognize this, that there's something glorious and great about Obadiah's life, and it's captured in these parentheses in this moment. And I wonder if maybe it's because somehow Obadiah kind of got stuck in the parentheses. I mean, you'll see this in just a moment, but he had a confrontation with Jezebel. And we haven't talked much about Jezebel yet, but what we do get in this passage of Scripture is that Jezebel was busy killing off the Lord's prophets. You read that, right? Jezebel was busy killing off the Lord's prophets. It wasn't just that she was posting something nasty on Facebook about them, right? It was full on killing off the Lord's prophets by the hundreds, by the hundreds, killing them off. Why? Because Jezebel was a, a priestess and prophetess of the religion of Baal worship and Asherah worship. And so she wanted to shut down and completely destroy the belief in God of the Jewish people. And she was making it happen, one death after another by the hundreds. And Obadiah recognized that God had placed him in a very instrumental place. He was the palace administrator. That's like being the chief of staff. He had access to all of the reports. He had probably ears in some of the rooms where the meetings were taking place, where Jezebel was talking about where she'd go next to kill off the prophets. And by the way, when when you hear about the, the Jezebel spirit, this is the heart of it, killing off the prophets, Killing off those people who are anointed by God to speak his word. We better watch out to never partner with that spirit. But that's not the message for today. But this is, this is the message, that, that Obadiah recognized his opportunity to, to use this instrumental position God had given him to do something for the glory of God. And, and so he, he brought these prophets and hid one group in this cave, hid one group in that cave, and used his resources to make sure they had food and water, even in the middle of a, of a drought and a famine. I mean, it's a, a crazy, amazing thing that, a, that, that Obadiah had done. But I wonder if maybe it left a mark on him Because he's living in this moment where Jezebel's killing off the prophets of God. And and I wonder how it might have traumatized him to to live with so much tension, just feeling it. Like, man, if they catch me, I'm going to be dead. If they catch me, I'm going down. Right. That's what he's living through in this moment. And I wonder if he got stuck there and if that's why this story is told in a parenthesis. There's something about this parenthesis that's been bothering me all week as I've been reading it. Why is it in a parenthesis? This is an amazing thing this man did. But it it seems to reflect that that he he got stuck there somehow. And what I know is that uh, what comes next reveals a bit about it. Because in verse 7, it says, as Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him And Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground and said, is it really you, my Lord? Yes, Elijah replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong? Asked Obadiah. That you're handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death. As surely as the Lord your God lives, there's not a nation or kingdom where my master hasn't sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah's here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he'll kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a 100 of the Lord's prophets in two caves, 50 in each, supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me, go to my master and say, Elijah's here? He'll kill me. This moment, oh man, this moment, it messes with me. It messes with me because I, I feel for Obadiah. Because on one hand, he did something amazing. He had this time in his life when he was filled with this amazing faith. And he did something. He took action because of that great faith he had. And it made such a difference. It saved people's lives and brought glory to God. He did that. Come on, somebody say, he did that. Like, give the man some props because he did that. He did something heroic and amazing, prompted by faith. But in this, in this moment here, where he's telling about it himself, he is pointing to the evidence of his faith in the past, while in the very same breath, wow. acknowledging that he doesn't have any for the present. I mean, you get it, right? Because he outright says, no, he's going to kill me. It's basically him saying, I do not have any faith right now. <laughs> you catch it? And it, it just it bothers me because I believe that, that God wants for you and I to be people who are able to show up with faith in the present just like we have in the past. And Obadiah is this, is, is this conflicted person at this point. He's got the story, the personal story of victory, of what God did as he responded in faith, but he's in this moment now where he's stuck. And, and I don't know exactly what to make of it. It's, it's like he's got faith here, faith in his past, and he's aware of the faith in his past. He describes it in detail, and it's pulling in one direction. And then over here, he's got his fear in the, in the present that's pulling him in a different direction. Do you see that? Yeah. It's a disaster. You know what? One of the greatest train disasters uh, that's been recorded in history happened in Italy in 1944. There was a train that was leaving Naples, headed for Potenza, uh, and... It it was, you know, 1944, so it's coal-fired engines, and there's one locomotive in the front of the train and one uh, locomotive at the back of the train, 47 cars in between. And this train leaves Naples, and it's basically heading uphill the whole way, uh, gets just outside of the station of Batalvo in in Italy and heads into the Arami Tunnel. And it's on an incline, and the locomotive at the front goes out, stops working, and the engineers uh, you know, shut it off and are trying to figure out what to do about it. The train is still inching forward. The locomotive at the back is pushing. And then uh, it gradually, it's hardly moving at all anymore because it really needed both. They got the front engine working again. But the engineers realized we're not going to make it up this hill. It's too broken down. Let's just throw it in reverse and back out of this tunnel. Only problem was there was no communication between the engineer up here and the engineer way back there uh, 47 cars later. And so as this one gets going and puts it into reverse, this one feels the train going backwards and pushes the throttle even more to go forwards. And so you've got this train that's pulling in two totally different directions, causing it to be utterly, completely stuck inside of this tunnel. And the coal-fired fumes are filling the tunnel. And then within an hour and a half, the engineers in that locomotive and the engineers in that locomotive all died, along with 500 passengers, in the train. One of the biggest disasters on record in train. Why? Because pulling in two different directions never gets you unstuck. And if you have an opportunity in a moment to recognize faith is pulling me one way, fear is pulling me another way, you better follow the leading of the spirit of God to go with God with a sense of faith and trust in what he just might do yet. That is always the better option. It is always the better option. Obadiah, in this moment, he's having a crisis of courage. It's a crisis of courage. It, he, he's stuck. He's, he's getting stuck in a what-if trap. He, he's tripping on the what-if trap. And, and he doesn't use the words what-if, but it's laced through the moment. Right. What if I go to King Ahab and he kills me? Right. Right. <laughs> That's the language. That's the, the feeling of this moment. What if? What if? What if I die? <laughs> I don't know if it's just Obadiah that sometimes starts tripping on a what-if trap. Right. I wonder if maybe some of us just as easily start tripping on that what-if trap. Right. Like, uh, what if I, uh, what if I walk across the street and share my testimony with that neighbor and they reject me? Right. What if I start tithing but then I run out of money, can't pay the bills? What if I apply for that promotion, but they shoot me down and overlook me, and I, I feel like a loser? What if I uh, start that degree or certificate program, but then I don't pass the classes and, and, and I fail? Like, wh- what if I, uh, what if I uh, ask her out on a date, but then she, she turns me down? <laughs> the what-if trap can keep you from moving forward with faith and... You don't need to trip over the what-if trap, but maybe what you do need to do is to flip it. Flip the what-if. Flip the what-if. Say it with me. Flip the what-if. Say it. Flip the what-if. It's like this. What what if I walk across the street and share my testimony with my neighbor and their heart opens up to the Lord, and then one day they go to heaven when they die? What if? What if? What if I... What if I put my name in for that promotion and they let me actually interview for it and I get the promotion or at least get on the radar for the next one? Or what if I do start that degree program or that certificate and I, and I actually get the certificate or the degree and it opens up a world of new opportunities for my future that I didn't ever have before? What if? What if I, I, I do actually uh, ask her out on a date and one day we're making a family Christmas picture in the park over there with all those other people before the sun goes down? Like, what if? What? What if? <laughs> Come on, somebody say, what if? You gotta flip the what if flip the what if it's like the spiritual magic trick of the century can i say that in church spiritual magic trick you know what i'm talking about i'm just talking about having a deep faith in god for what might be possible when his hand intervenes What if he gives me the strength to persevere? What if he gives me an enduring spirit? What if he gives me a confidence that I never had before that allows me to keep on taking one step through the mud after another until eventually the mud clears? What if he has my back and defends me in ways I didn't even know I needed defending? What if he gives me favor so that I'm able to walk through a door that opens before me that I didn't even know I needed to walk through? What if I keep trusting him and a couple months go by and then the miracle comes over here because I kept walking in faith in him. What if? What if? Somebody say, what if? Flip the what if. Don't trip over the what if trap. I I believe Obadiah got stuck in a parenthesis. And you and I don't need to get stuck in ours. But maybe we need to dig a little deeper and ask God to give us a fresh measure of the spirit that he says he gave us. In 2 Timothy 1.7, this is what I'm talking about. It says, and say it with me out loud, go. For our God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And so I show up with faith in the present, just like I have in the past, because I believe my God to be true to his name. I show up with faith in the present just like I have in the past because there is a there is a mountain that needs to be moved. And I can't be resting on my laurels about what God did way back when because yesterday's faith isn't going to move today's mountains. I need a fresh faith today because this hill is big. This thing is going to take some dynamite in the spirit to blast a hole through and I need that from the Lord. You need that from the Lord. Like what you're facing right now requires you to dive deep into the very presence of God and get a touch from God that fills you, that sustains you, that gives you strength to keep climbing, to keep going, to keep moving forward, to keep showing up. Keep showing up. Say it. Keep showing up. Sometimes that's the victory. To keep showing up. Sometimes that's the victory. To just not bail. To just keep showing up. Watch how God begins to move. When you take one step, when you barely thought you could lift your foot, after another. He has a way of giving a sustaining grace to us when we need it. He's faithful like that. Verse 15. It said, Elijah said... As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. I'm going to stop right here for a second. This is, this is Elijah saying, you want to talk about being afraid? I got reason to be afraid, Obadiah. I know that king's been hunting me down for three years, trying to kill me. I know. And if anybody had a reason to back down and say, forget it, I'm out, I'm done, I'm going to go hide, (laughs) it would be Elijah. But Elijah's modeling this, this life of the woman of God, man of God, who keeps on holding on to God for strength and finding victory and sustaining power in God. And he says, as surely as the Lord my God lives, I know who my God is. I know how mighty he is. I know how faithful he is. I know how true he is. I know how consistent he is. And as surely as the Lord my God lives, I'm going. I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up with faith in this present moment just like I have in the past. I'm showing up. I want you to say it with me. I'm showing up. I'm showing up. And I'm not backing down. And he he, he goes and he shows up. Elijah said, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. Did you catch what just happened, by the way? Nothing. Nothing happened. Obadiah went to King Ahab and nothing happened. Remember his whole life stuck in a parenthesis out of fear? He went to Ahab and nothing happened. Obadiah went to meet Ahab, told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, your troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You, your father's family, have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal. And the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. This man's growling. I love it. He's standing right there in Ahab's face and letting him know how it's going to be. And if you want to know what ends up happening, you're going to have to come back next week because that's when we're going to continue and have the time to do it justice. But this is a moment where Elijah, e- Elijah stands with faith in the present just like he has in the past. And I see uh, two two types of people. One is Obadiah who had faith for the past, but wasn't able to grab hold of it in the present and it left him stuck. But then I see Elijah who had faith in the past and was facing a present trouble and danger, but found a way to hold on to and cling to his hope in God right for that moment. And it brought him courage for the Facing of the hour, as an old song says. And he brought that courage to bear in this moment and kept moving forward and showing up. And this is a model for you and me uh, to continue in our own lives in the same way. I think what was happening is that that Elijah knew who his God was. Elijah was a prophet and as a prophet, I wonder if maybe uh, he, he was catching some of the latest worship songs that were going around. We know them now as the book of Psalms, but right when Elijah was alive would have been the time when those things would have been like the latest Maverick City worship song, and, and he's hearing them, and I wonder if maybe one of those songs was in his mind in this moment, and maybe he was even singing it. I mean, this total conjecture, but why not? I'm wondering if maybe he knew the words of Psalm 46, 1, where it says, God is." Is our refuge and strength, and ever present help in trouble. And he would have known the melody. Maybe it went something like, God is our refuge and our strength, and ever present help in trouble. I don't know. That doesn't sound very Jewish or Hebraic or anything, but I liked it. But I wonder if maybe that that sentiment was in him. Like I know who my God is. And yes, I know how dangerous it is the situation with Ahab. I know. I spoke a prophetic word that it wouldn't rain for 3 years, and it hasn't rained for 3 years. It's thrown the nation into famine and economic upheaval because of a prophetic word I gave. I get it. He's out to get me. But I'm not backing down. I know who my God is, an ever-present help in trouble. And I've had faith in the past, but I'm going to choose faith in the present just like I have in the past because I know that my God is an ever-present help in trouble. I want you to read Psalm 46, verse 1 out loud with me. Psalm 46, verse 1, say it. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And this man, Elijah, as a man of God, is living a life of faith Faith in the God who is an ever-present help in trouble. And you and I get to live a life of faith just like that. A life of faith that is marked by a mysterious, profound trust in God alive inside of us. It's what you're made for, sir. It's what you're made for, sister, to live that way. A life of faith that goes beyond explanation sometimes. I and mean, the scripture puts it like this in Galatians 2. It says, and this is a way fast forward into the New Testament expression of this faith, but I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who Put that back on the screen. I need those words to stay in front of us for just a little bit. The Son of God who, say it, who loved me. who Say it again, who what? who. I want you to just take a moment and put your hands on your own heart. And I want you to just simply say this. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you know that you're loved so much by God that God's one and only son would be given for you, it changes everything. And you get to live this way. You get to live this way. This Christ lives in me mystery. It sustains you. It carries you. It gives you a conquering spirit. It gives you a a persevering spirit. It gives you an endurance to keep running all the way to the finish line because I know that he loved me and he gave himself for me and this life I'm living it differently it's not just about me and what you see it's about who is in me and his power and his goodness and his mercy and his love and his transcendent capacity to move mountains rising up inside of me that's what my life is about the life I now live I live by faith in the son of God that's what's available for every single one of us so believers I want to speak an Elijah-like word to you and say, come back. Like if you're on the edge where you're kind of falling off of that life and faith, come back. Believers, come back. And if you are here today and you're going, this is all new to me. I'm just trying to put the pieces together. Let me tell you, this piece is the one that matters the most. The piece that, that says you can be right with God through faith in Jesus. You can be forgiven and you can have a new life through faith in Jesus. This is what's available to each and every one of us, our sins being forgiven, the hope of heaven being the foundation for our lives and the strength of God for here and now victory. And this is what we get to live for. And I want to take a moment and, and pray together that God would activate a faith for the present just like we've had in the past for some of us. And for others, I want to pray right now that God would awaken us, maybe even for the first time to our need for Jesus and a life that we can live knowing that he's loved us and given his life for us. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for this moment. Elijah, Obadiah, and the two different pictures of, of walking with you. and God, I know that for some of us, uh, we're a little bit more like Obadiah than we would care to admit right now. And, and truthfully, we've... We've had our moments in the past, high water in the past, but we we could talk about what we saw you do then, but right now we're in the middle of it, and somehow we feel stuck. And God, I'm praying for each and every one of us who's in that spot right now, that you would spring that what-if trap for us, and that you would give us the supernatural, mysterious miracle of flipping that what-if to what if you come through, what if you heal What if you deliver? What if you give sustaining grace? What if you provide? What if? And I pray, God, you would impart that to some of us right now, a supernatural transformation of the what ifs. And God, I pray that from that would come a new and fresh, fiery faith to keep going forward with you into this future possibility that is yet wide open. Until we breathe our last, it is yet wide open. So God, I pray for ah, something like rain to fall from heaven, spiritually speaking, that would just, a soaking rain for some of us, that would would uh, call us to come to life again inside, trusting in your goodness, believing you for good things in days to come. God, I pray for for others of us right now to have a spiritual awakening, for somebody, I'm praying for you right now because uh, this is all new for you and you just thought you were kind of come into a Christmas tree lighting thing, but here it is, this long sermon, but at the heart of it is this, that there's a way that you can live a different kind of life marked by faith in Jesus Christ, who loved you and gave himself for you. And what Jesus said when he came on the scene in Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 15, it says that he went around saying, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent, And believe the good news. And that is what needs to happen for you. If this is all new for you. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is saying the time has come for you to be saved. To have your sin forgiven. To have the hope of heaven opened up for you. And what Jesus said in his own words were that you would need to repent. That is to to turn from the direction you were going in. And to turn towards him to turn from the sin and the garbage and to turn to the life and the goodness of Jesus. To repent, that's what it means. And to believe the good news, the good news that what we just said before, he loved me, gave his life for me. He loved me, gave his life for me. No better way to live than knowing I'm loved, I'm forgiven. So Lord, I pray for an activation of first-time faith for somebody right now. While we're praying together, if you are here tonight and you would say, I need what you just described. I need to receive the forgiveness of my sins and know that I'm right with God once and for all. If that's truly where you're coming from, and you would like to give your life to Jesus and ask him to forgive you and save you, right now, I want you to raise your hand with me, right in this moment, as your way of finally admitting, I want to be right with God, and I want to ask Jesus to forgive me and save me. Just raise your hand with me, nice and high. I don't want to miss you. I want to make sure that I can connect with you and pray with you. Up in the back, in the middle, that's excellent. Anyone else? So I don't want to miss you. And, and just raise it up, or if you're online, right here in the middle in my left, thank you. You can keep it up for a moment because our prayer team would love to come by and, and give you a Bible and, and pray with you. If you're joining online, just type it into the comments in the back up in the left. Thank you. you just type into the comments if you're online. Say, I want to give my life to Jesus. And now pray with me. Those of you with a hand raised in this moment, maybe you say something like this. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. Everything starts there. You can say it with me. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. One more time, say it. Jesus Christ, I believe in you, and I turn from the garbage of my sin and the shame and the guilt of it all, and I turn to you, Jesus. Would you forgive me? Would you save me? Would you set me free? I believe in you. I believe you gave your life for me because you loved me. Just say it to him. I believe you loved me, and so I want to receive your gift of salvation right now. Just say it. Jesus, I want to receive your gift of salvation right now. Be the Lord of my life. I'm yours, Jesus, from this moment on. Say that to him. Jesus, I'm yours from this moment on. Jesus, I'm yours from this moment on. You're my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You are good, God. let don't you stand up together, church? Those of you who just had a hand raised, our, our prayer team is going to come looking for you to give you a Bible and help you get connected so you can grow in this new faith in Jesus. But For every one of us, this is what we get to walk out of here celebrating, that we have God who is for us in our lives and that we have an opportunity now to have faith in Him in the present like we have in the past and to believe Him for good things in days to come. He reigns. Would you just say that? He reigns. He. He yes, he does. Forever. Sing it out. Now. Surrender for the Lord.